Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 34 of the Embers Collective podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This time around, we have such a treat in store as we are joined by Aaron and Sirka Hegarty from Candlelit Tales Dublin. First up, we have Aaron telling the story of Nuk Anya or Anya's Hill. On music, we have Ushin Ryan, Alan Homan, Rue O'Shea and Aaron himself playing the Baron. Content warning on this one as it does deal with themes of sexual assault. And I'm now going to leave you in the very capable hands of Candlelit Tales. Time, like the rivers, keep flowing ever onwards. For those special, ever-living people under hill, time flows in unusual ways. Anya was one of those. And no matter the heat of the sun in the summer, or what shape the cold moon was in the winter sky, Anya would always help those who asked. Oftentimes she would offer love to many, and she would teach how to love with an open heart. She would lead by example, and her people would follow her brilliant bright red hair, yellow cloak and soft touch with anticipation for what she could show them. And Anya could show them a lot. How having a full life of blessings and opportunity and love was more fruitful than any triumph you'd get from victory over another. But for all the love she had, for all the light she helped to shine in the time before time and ever since, for all her brightness and brilliance she brought forth in those summer sunny days and the moon-filled nights, she was never far from hate and anguish and hurt. Her own father was one of those who resented being put below ground. You see, before they went under a hill, these folk would proudly walk across Erin's green lands. Anya kept herself in the south always having a fondness for the rugged mountain ranges that looked over such open expanses of fertile soil that reached out towards the sea in every direction in the south, the west and the east. She preferred to stay with her sisters, Grian and Fen and Anya, those three a triplet of tricks would wander together spreading joy mischief and often mayhem whenever they had the pleasure for such a thrill, shining love amongst the men and women of the Fae with pleasure, showing how to open their hearts, by often opening legs and touching breasts, hearts and minds of anyone they met. Anya always preferred to lead with love, and any man that was lucky enough to receive her love under the moonlit sky would remember how to love deeply and truly ever after. And any woman who was kissed by her sunshining lips could do nothing but radiate her loveliness from her inside to out, like sunshine shining brightly in the summer sky. To be near Anya, the bright and radiant, the glowing one of the Tua de Danon, was to be warmed and filled full of heart. She and her sisters could play and leap in and out of changing form at will to most men's wonder. 
often taking the shape of silky smooth swimming swans or hopping and running, darting and scurrying, long-limbed agile hares or Anya's favourite, the red running mare. On their derg, the swiftest mare in Ireland, the one that could not be outrun. Anya, in this form, would set such a pace that neither two of her sisters could ever even attempt to pursue the streak of red hair that went snapping in the wind, flowing fast and blurring past, with her sharp hooves cutting right through the countryside. Whenever Grian or Fen would find her again, they would find her in her female human form, wrapped in her yellow covering cloak over bare, beating breasts, with her bright red curling hair framing her pale skin, and a sickeningly sweet smile showing off her savage sharp teeth, her green eyes glinting with delight. They were then, their time like a drip in the vast ocean that never stopped flowing, and soon it was washed away. The time of the two-a-day to go under the hill came with the coming of the sons of Mill, with their steel and their iron and their magic of a manufactured making. When that time came, Anya knew she would not remain above ground, and so a single tear came to her emerald eye slipped down her white cheek and dried on her face. She vowed, though, to still and always lead with love and teach whoever was to come to her hill and ask for it. Her surroundings would always be filled with love, truly and fully granting grace and abundance, health and good fortune for anyone who simply asked for it. And she followed her father, Ogbull, below the hill. Ogbull had hate in his heart for going below ground, and for the length of time they had been in Ireland, the Tour de Danon stayed much longer still under those hills and his hate festered there. Even as his daughter continued to shine her ever undying love on those living above, he despised their kind. His heart became resentful, his light skin sickeningly pale, and his hatred grew ever hot for the kindness his daughter still showed those meagre mortals above ground. Then one day another so-called king came to claim the land. From Dunclare to Dungare, from Maine to Dunacare, from south to west, east and north, right around Knock Anya. And this king sat on the throne in Cashel as the king of all Munster. But he had no love for the land he was claiming, and he hailed from nowhere nearby. He made no attempt to call for the help of the eternal living ones. No respect was shown, no grace or graciousness. He never once went to look to the moon to know the right time to sow the seed. 
no desire to ask for the summer's sun to heat the soil and bring about a good crop for his people. No thought at Lunasa to come to Nakonya with offerings or gifts. No blessings or songs were sung for the feasts and the harvests for the time. The dark cave where Ogbull dwelt became darker and nothing the bright Anya could do could lighten his hate. Anya could also see this king. Aliel Ullam, his name we remember now. She knew he was not worthy of ruling in this land, but she also knew he would not be the last unworthy ruler. He was not the first at any rate. And her way was always to lead with love and hope for better days to come, helping those less fortunate out of their situation. But Og Bull had had enough. He made his plan and his people would retaliate to teach this so-called king a lesson. They waited till Samhain Eve, when the veil of this world was thin between theirs, and he was at his strongest, and he led with fire and rage out of the underground cave, and they came from Nakonya, where the great many of the fae they went around torching the fields, leaving nothing but ash. Anya's heart broke to see the poor people hurt and the king on his high seat on his cold hard rock of Cashel condemned them to work all the more in miserable conditions to make it up to him. The king continued in this way as he had begun and so too did Anya's father continue to burn hate hot and keep the fire burning in the fields every and eve. Fires flamed as his rage maintained for all the years he had been underground and not respected. But Anya knew the people hurt were the people of the poor, the people of the land. But this went on for years, till the king held council. He was confused at the goings-on. Yet he tried not to give heed to these foolish superstitions. He knew to rule with strength, authority, cruelty when it was needed, and it was needed more often than not. These people, he presumed, were forcing his hand. He could weather this storm. Now due mostly to custom and tradition, he held counsel with his druid, whom he thought little enough of. Fergus McComan. He warned his king. If you don't go to Nakonya, this so eve I see this foretelling for you. The downfall of your reign will soon be to come. Once spoken, it could not be unsaid. All ill had to go to Nakonya. More so to put these whisperings of fairies to sleep, mind you. All the fires had started with the locals, no doubt, he thought. He would go to knock on you, he went. That and Eve they left, but they had not been gone long in their leaving when the fire blazed across the night sky. The darkness was lit up as these fires ruined every crop and every field surrounding knock on you. 
As they went on their way, passing Loch Gur, they went to the bottom of the hill, the soft, rounded hill that looked a little too round compared to the ones around it. The sun had set, the moon was in the sky, and the fields were burning hot. As they reached the top, Fergus, the druid, went pale and stopped. Suddenly, they heard faint music travel towards them. Whish, tis fairy music. We must stop our ears with wax, lest we be taken under the ground with them. Though the king did not believe in such superstitions, he stuck his ears with wax all the same. This night was eerie. They climbed to the top of the hill, and there they saw it. Three standing stones marking graves of three men that had fought a faction off once upon a different time, and the whole hill opened wide, an entrance in the middle, and a faction of the Fae went walking in, all of them tall and pale and sharp, leading their way down with fire burning in their hands. At the end of the solemn line, a red-haired woman, pale of skin and beautiful and bright, wearing a yellow cloak, her father standing beside her. Well, something came over all ill. He was furious to see these faces. He thought, if they were to come to wreak ruin on his land, he would teach them a lesson of who was in command. He came from the shadows, he came from behind, and struck Old Bull down with one strike. The hill seemed to close, and Anya was left on her own. She stood and froze to see the king filled with so much hate. He glared at her and knew he was looking at the bright face of a goddess of a race he had not believed in. And he was struck by her beauty then, and the darker thought crossed his mind. He could put her in her place below him, and he above her, this goddess of grace and love and light. He took delight as he felt sure he could disgrace her and show the rest of Munster who was their rightful ruler. He moved towards her frozen form and grabbed her, not for love, but lust and longing and desire to show his power over her. Hate filled him, and fully knowing and fully showing his cruel intention to lead with cruelty and dominance and strength, he forced his way into her body and took a full knowing of her. He took from her that that she did not graciously give, nor consent to. And when he had spent his energy taking his pleasure out from her, he leant his head down, sweating, satisfied, satiated. Anya whispered in his ear, What you have taken from me was not given but it will be regained. And what I'll take from you, you'll never again claim. She snarled at him then, baring her viciously sharp teeth, and ripped his ear from his head. 
He screamed, but was left alone on the hill. She seemed to disappear from underneath his arms. He went to strike her, but his sword went through the ground. She was gone. He was now imperfect. He was blemished, tarnished from Anya. And he knew he could no longer be king. All ill, Ullam. All ill, the bare-eared, walked away from Nakonya, losing his ear and his throne for dishonoring the land. For no king of Ireland could take his seat if he was not complete in body. And Anya? Some say that Anya, she bathed herself in the healing waters of Loch Gur close by, and that her pain dissolved like that time disappeared into the depths of the deep currents the ever-flowing, long-lost time ago. And those lake waters in Loch Kerr and Munster still see people come to cure themselves and ask for Anya's help for those that are dying, that they might see some small few bright days before they transition through the veil, that lakeside where Anya can still be heard singing her song sometimes where she runs around with her sisters in the full moon, Anya of the wisps, Anya of love, of land, Anya of luck, of harvests, and most of all of the summer sun and the light of the moon, Anya the bright, the fierce, the furious when she must be. She would not let one story stop her feeding love throughout all of Erin. Instead, she continued to love all mortals and gave birth to many with the blood of the Fae running through their veins. When she gave birth to Owen of the Aegonacta, a whole line of kings came from her, for she taught her son how to love and how to act as a king ought to act. And as such, those kings descended from her line. The Aegonacta sat on the throne of Cashel for 2,000 years. And she can still be called upon at Lunasa in the summer or at any full moon. When the sun is in the sky or the moon is shining bright, it is Anya telling you she is there. For she can co-create love with you. And she can help bring justice to and retribution against those who act cruelly in love. Remember that. She is one to pray to, for any grievance, to offer strength and hope and luck and love. Anya will give you that. You just have to go to her hill and ask. And that was Onya's Hill by Aaron Hegarty. Um, who did the music there, Aaron? 
Yes, thanks, Rixie. That was uh, a collab, the effort by Ruo Shea, Oshin Ryan and Alan Homan, who have been figuring out how to do um, remote music making for our Candlelit Tales podcast. And that was a, co- a combined effort. Ah, oh, good stuff. Did I get the pronunciation right there? The Hill of Anya, yeah, that's that's the translation. That's the that's the English translation of Knock Anya uh, or Knock Anya. Uh, so it depends how you want to say that one. The Hill of Anya, though, is fine. That's that's the English translation of the Irish. I wouldn't try the Irish. It's it's, it's a weird one. It's a weird it's a, one. It's a difficult um, uh, difficult language if you haven't grown up with it or you don't have something in the back of your throat. You know, Knock Anya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's even difficult for me, and I'm trying to clear my throat. Which um, um, is, can can you how much uh, how much Irish can you guys speak? Um fuckle is the is the technical term, which is not actually a, a, as rude as it sounds. Although there was a there was a hit pop song in Ireland several years ago uh, that was about all about uh, Ian Fuckle Ian Fuckalella Ian no no at all exactly um, but no it it just means yeah. a couple of words uh, like a lot of Irish people I know how to ask to go to the bathroom and how to say hello to a more important person which is what you learn in primary school and a few phrases beyond that and that I like sweets is Madam Milshani. It's mal on yeah. Shawnee. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is a tra- tragedy, but it's all it's all the British's fault. You know, it's all, uh, it's all your fault, really. <laughs> globalization, <Yeah. laughs> and globalization, the, and capitalism, and a lot of other things. Is there a resurgence of the Irish language? Like you have it in, in I used to live in Wales, and there it's really coming back. Um, is there more? Is that is that is that the case in Ireland as well? Are people more willing or wanting to to learn the old tongue? Yes, you know, like if you don't, if you, or if you're in Galway, uh, where I went to college, you'll hear it constantly, which is gorgeous. And like, there's kind of a few different dialects of of Irish. So if you go up to the north, I'm we're from Munster. I, I like I'm able to have a bit of Irish and uh, like you know go to out to Kerry and uh, understand more than I'd be able to speak really. But if I go up to Ulster, I'll not be able to hear a fucking word <laughs> that they're saying because like their accent is one thing but then as soon as they speak the dialect in Irish it's a, it's almost it's borderline a different language and there's like there's a whole f- kind of f- philosophical debate as, as to what's the difference between a, a language and a dialect anyway and if you know Irish you have to be very fluent to understand you different know, the different dialects especially yeah, yeah. no there's a lot of different dialects and it's kind of I used to I definitely used to have relatively fluent kind of monster Irish at one point in my life I certainly don't anymore because I haven't used it in a long time but uh, yeah no it's uh, it's coming back there are a lot of people who are really interested in it and interested in kind of getting back into that heritage and uh, we try and at least use some of the words where we can and the odd little phrase and, you know, we'll often use it in um, songs. So, you know, writing writing songs with old Irish or with modern Irish uh, is kind of how we try and weave it in and, and keep it there while still making it so that you don't have to know Irish and be fluent in Irish in order to listen to Irish mythology, because that, that can be a barrier then as well for a lot of people. 
And it's kind of like the barrier that mythology holds anyway. It's like, oh, you have to be worthy. You have to be scholarly. You have to be knowledgeable in order to access and know these stories. But you don't at all. Like, you know, even the Cooper Fuckle that you'd have in going to an Irish bar, people are very welcoming and, and will talk to you at whatever level you'd have in Irish. And that's the gorgeous thing about kind of the resurgence in Irish. And that's the gorgeous thing about the resurgence in uh, the mythology and the, and the people what we're finding with how we're interacting with audiences with just myths and that's a real cultural significant kind of point as well as to to reclaim these stories and go back and look at especially Canuck Anya is a great example of like a story that's been kind of hidden there's fragments of it it's you don't quite understand what is the main arc of it you have to piece it together Mm. by a lot of different sources and it's difficult to find but yet people are really drawn to it and there's still people going up on Lunasa in the middle of August uh, and going up to her kind of uh, mound and, and the hill of Anya and giving offerings and having circles and singing and dancing and lepping about the place like proper little pagans. It's class. <laughs> um, yeah, like proper pagans. That's the good stuff. Yeah, um, yeah I was going to ask, where did, you, where did you come across this story? So Surik and I have been on a bit of a mission, I guess, to kind of bring back uh, goddess stories uh, for Candlelit Tales uh, when we tell life, life stories. Our first rendition, I think, was Woman and Warriors. Mm. And we've kind of come back to that show or that set of stories again and again, replacing the main characters. I guess we, we kind of tell a series of stories on a night in a live performance and swap out the stories. And I guess God, the Women and Warriors is such a, a an abundantly kind of promising one because it could be any woman because they're you know they're warriors female heroes that have beat Fionn McCool or trained Cúchulainn or trained Fionn McCool um, depending mm. on what cycle you want to look and at there's, and there's there's a lot of yeah like it's it's taking the stories from a female perspective and then it's also the abundance of stories that do star women in Irish mythology and like the the different roles that women have. Like when you think of druids, I think we're all inclined to think of sort of Gandalf types, you know, the man with the long white beard. And in Irish mythology, you've got Beorog of the Mountain, who's the wisest woman in Ireland, who's a druid, who does all kinds of crazy magic and like gets into some like cross-dressing stuff. And it's 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 really cool. She dresses the hero Cian in a dress to infiltrate a tower. Like you, you're as likely when a character is named as a warrior or a druid to have a male or a female character. Like they're they're those all of those roles are occupied by women. Uh, or, you know, a satirist, uh, you know, there's female satirists, there's female poets. So all of these different kind of roles in society that I think we're, you know, in our day used to envisioning as being male. Or if we envision them as being f- like held by women, we think of it as being kind of a modern spin that's being put on it to make it feminist. Um, when you're looking at Irish mythology, it's like, oh, no, it's 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 just there. Like the kings of Munster were the kings of Munster because they were descended from Anya, not because they were descended from uh, the father's line. She's the one who gave them their power. She's the one who gave them their claim because she's the goddess of sovereignty. Um, so they're given this huge um, prominence in Irish mythology that like you don't have to go looking super hard for. Yeah, sorry, he's going back to the Irish for uh, Queen. 
on uh, Bonri, like on the woman mm. king is the, literally the translation for it. So it, again, it kind of placed the same amount of emphasis on a female leader as to a male leader. It was that's the uh, man king, that's the woman king. Cool. All right. And it, it kind of changes like that once, you know, when we found that out about woman king and, and king. I started throwing it into all my stories then. Whenever there was a gathering of kings, I'd be like, so it was the gathering of the kings and the woman kings. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's probably what they meant. It's, if you're talking about Ri and Banri. And- it's fascinating, isn't it, how much it's been edged out of, uh, well, uh, up until today, just in, in storytelling and in our discourse in general. It's the same, you know, in England where the old, old English, um, the Druids there would worship something called Arwen which is basically the flow, like manner of of nature. And that is a female entity. That is a... Uh, so, you know, the three the three strikes in, in the old runes. Mm-hmm. There's like three three marks in, in the old runic uh, symbols. And that is Arwen, which you might know from Lord of the Rings as being the, uh, the elven bird that Aragorn marries. But <laughs> in the... It is actually it is the it's the flow and that is a divine feminine energy and it is just as powerful mm. and just as prominent as uh as all as the masculine energy. However, due to certain reasons <laughs> it has been forgotten, which um well, we don't need to go into them, do we? <laughs> well, you know, it's a it's a I think it's um it's an interesting thing about the place we're in in the world now is that th- these things are coming back. And I got to say, it's so lovely. I'm sitting here, you know, on a Zoom call with three guys who are all super fucking excited about the goddess. And I think like for me, that's a that's a such an uplifting thing to see, because I think the mistake we can make with this stuff is to go, oh, well, feminine energy is about women and masculine energy is about men. And mm. if we're not careful, we can forget that we we all have both exactly. and we all need both. And, uh, uh, you know, a man who's cutting off his masculine energy or his feminine energy or a woman who's doing either of those things, you're, you're hobbling yourself and you're crippling yourself. And it is something that we're all, you know, conditioned to do by the society that we're in today is to to cut parts of ourselves off in order to fit in better. And it's so lovely to to sink back into that flow and go, no, 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 this is there's a divinity here that is at work that is expansive and messy and will not be contained in a box. I love this idea of calling it masculine and feminine energy as well, because it takes away this idea of gender from it a bit because I think it's really toxic and we talk about toxic masculinity as like a buzzword but it can be very toxic to equate these energies into gender because when you when you only see female pain and you only view the world and stories through female pain in you're completely ignoring male pain you have what we had in the last hundred years millions of young boys dying to protect home the home ground and and you even still hear it it's one of my father's biggest gripes you still hear it in the news a bomb goes off somewhere and how many women and children died what, what why is male suffering not important today like why is male male uh, hurt and anguish and suicide rates not talked about as much as female pain although it is still 
it should be levelled off and there is a kind of a balance to, to affect by by diluting one you're making the other problematic mm-hmm. and, and by highlighting one you're ignoring the other and so there's a w- there has to be a way of equating and to get rid of the gender out of it because it's softening the masculine energy into being allowed to be effeminate and being allowed to be nurturing and caring and, and crying for fuck's mm-hmm. sake and as well as it's very fucking brilliant to see hard strong female figures stand up and claim what, what is theirs without being called a psycho <laughs> bitch you know and Feminazi, that's the danger, I believe is you know. the preferred term I, I um. guess it is as well <laughs> Yeah, I guess it is as well. Just as you need a balance of those energies within the individual, you also need a balance of those energies within a society for it to be functioning, for it yes. to be healthy. And wherever one falls on that, uh, shall we say, the scales of, of those two polarities, of those mm. two energies, when you are um, embodying where you're meant to be within that, that radiates from you. And I think that when a society is able to embody that, it radiates outwardly as well um in my humble opinion but beautifully said yeah beautifully said and i'm i'm really you know speaking of male energies here i'm actually really sorry that we're on a zoom call and lonan has to be quiet because he's after (laughs) cutting himself i know i should i feel like i feel like i should mention because lonan has been frantically messaging me but lonan jenkins is here he is present on the zoom call but his audacity isn't working there's an error so um, he's he's just sort of sitting there smiling away as we discuss what is basically Lonan's wheelhouse of uh, masculine and female energies. Um, you're muted there as well. Oh, no. I know this is... Uh, I really dislike the term toxic masculinity. I, I, dis- I detest it because whilst I can see the need for it, I feel like to put the name toxic and and masculine together, I really, I don't think that that's good. Mm -hmm. And I know that we're not going to necessarily solve it um, to, you know, I know that we have, I think it's up to six billion people listen to this podcast. So we Mm -hmm. might be able to get the the message out there. But I think that it's just, it's finding these different words and and making that point still known. Um, Well, it's one of those things like by calling like basically when you say toxic masculinity you fundamentally come away with an idea that masculinity is toxic and you can't help but have that kind of imprinted in your brain that some level of masculinity is toxic and that's that skews the idea behind what toxic mm. Ma- mm. you know just as fem- feminism got skewed and, by not actually gets, listening and to the all point of these of ideologies get skewed and I mean I've said it before like the you know I think the men's movement really misstepped when they named it toxic masculinity to differentiate yeah. it from healthy masculinity yeah. um that like that that term originated in in the men's rights movements and in, in it, and in men's movements of the 70s although it is very strongly associated with feminists being angry yeah. at men today um it's it's a it's a challenging term um and it's a very difficult one and i think it's it, for an awful lot of people it's incredibly alienating because you look at it mm. and you go, you're just, you're literally calling me poison. Like, fuck you. <laughs> I don't exactly. want to listen to anything you have to say. And it's, and it's, and it's really more, I see it as, um, I mean, I get it. I get, I get its need and I get its use, but I don't, I think it should be uh, just rephrased as something like imbalanced masculinity, mm. you know, or 
immaturity, you know, a lot of it is fucking immaturity and not being developed enough as a human being. Like, even in this story, I guess this, like, the hard fact yes. is this is very much a story of um, violence and gendered violence. Mm. So, like, it's, we're, mm, we're not, absolutely. we're not straying too far away from it. We're obviously, you know, we're on the cusp of something here, but like it does relate to the story because it's so fundamental in how uh, all ill all and it's, it, I'm sure, you know, you could have a trigger warning in this because it is quite graphic and, you know, in, in any text you see, you just see, you see all ill and then he raped her yeah. and he had a full knowing of her and, and that was it. And that's basically all you get and you move on. Uh, I guess I, I spent a bit more time with that and with the mindset of it because i'm 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 sick of hearing he lost his mind and was kind of he he got overcome with lust and oh he forgot himself and he was drunk and therefore he did this terrible thing fundamentally usually it's fucking out of nastiness and uh you know immaturity and some form of uh idea that he was he he deserved this sexual gratification and i'm like all right let's stop fucking excusing it and saying it saying that rape was because of a drunkenness or because of a short skirt or because of whatever right, like yeah. it's because of her beauty essentially it was somebody acting Im- improperly and immaturely and horrendously violent. That's kind of basically what I what my mindset of it. And that was something that we we discussed because you know this is part of our process for writing these stories, and this is one that we haven't actually told live before. This is a sort of podcast premiere story. Um. So this. Oh no. No. Uh, well. Sorry, the um, so the story you told, the Danu story, is yes. W- I actually did have a chance to listen to Stag's Head in 2019. It was the first time I came across Nakonya. I told it a bit differently. I didn't tell it as well, and you gave me notes afterwards, and we chatted about it. Uh, but then a few, but a few, like it wasn't. I, I wasn't really happy with how I had told her or whatever. So oh, anyway, you're right. You're right. You're right. Again. You're right. You're right. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't one of our. It wasn't one of our well honed ones. Anyway, it was definitely one that we did a bit of work on for this podcast this is the thing is that you've got to get it up on its feet um in front of an audience to so like when i'm doing when i'm doing a story like i know it works when it's in front of an audience and they Mm -hmm. respond well to it when i do i do uh, a lot of comedy stuff as well and it's like i come up with the idea for a bit i don't know if that bit's gonna work unless i've tried it in front of people And that's when you know that you... And even ideas within the story that you're telling, it's like, oh, man, they're going to love this joke. And they don't. And then they don't. But that is is the best feedback you could possibly get. I've... Honestly, we've missed it so much. And I think there have been several times during this lockdown, especially when we're doing stories that we haven't honed as much on stage, when we just... I think, like, it was this time last year or, you know sort of later in the spring last year when we we hit our first serious wall with the podcast because we were recording stories that we had not told live before. And we suddenly just really experienced what you were just talking about there that like, oh, holy shit, we need the audience feedback. I don't know how this story works without an audience to tell it to. And you don't have that like 
improvisational, co-creative kind of thing going on where you get into a groove and something pops into your head. You don't know where it came from, but you say it and it lands and everyone loves it. Like we didn't have it. And we suddenly realised, oh, we, we're going to have to actually reinvent our process a little bit here and like ring each other up and go, I'm stuck on a bit. What do you think of this bit? Why is this bit not working? And actually like work it a lot harder. So our process has really kind of changed over lockdown. And this was one of the stories that I like me and Aaron had a couple of like big chats on the phone about where are the sticky bits here? Big time. Because it was really like, again, kind of talking about like being a man and talking about like a goddess of fertility and the goddess of the moon and the goddess of the sun and a goddess of kind of love. And then you're kind of like, "Uh, this goddess gets raped. How do I as a man, talk about that. And I guess we had this conversation of which who would tell the story in the podcast as well. And it came down to, you know what, and this is one of the reasons why it's always good to have a male voice in the feminist corner or the, the even just the fem, divine feminine kind of um, corner. <laughs> uh, because, like, I'm pumping my fist <laughs> as I'm saying that, in case you can't hear it. Um, because it, it, it dilutes it if it's just females, if it dilutes it if it's only women talking about the, yeah. the that pain. And it, it's extremely, like, I, I found it upsetting to put my, my myself into the mind frame of a man who would do that and how he would justify it and how he would overcome that hurdle of natural automatic empathy that you have for another living human being when you see them and how you would actually do that and I suppose I, I talked the character into the point of of that and it was it was jarring to do it but I had to figure it out myself mm. it was one of those things that I kind of again talked to Sorek about quite a lot and uh, then it became about the resurgence and the restoration um, of mm. Anya and how she managed to withhold withhold her own and regain her strength mm-hmm. from that and, she, and could not get knocked down. Because that's I think that's the thing that we really wanted to kind of, you know, highlight in this, not just the fact that, you know, we don't want to excuse this guy for what he did or, or give him that excuse of, oh, she was so beautiful, he was overcome, because that's bullshit. And people still get away with rape by saying shit like that. Uh, and it's still bullshit and it always was. Um, but also the fact that, like, I think so often in stories about, you know, rape and sexual violence, it's kind of like it's the end. It's the worst possible thing that can ever happen to you and nothing will ever happen to you ever again. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this, this terror, like, and it is a terrible thing, but I think it's, it's really important to have stories where the person who's subjected to that violence um, continues and goes on and gets their power back because that happens. And that that happens as well. And that is also a part of the story. And this is a goddess who takes surgical revenge on this guy. Like she bites his ear off and no one with any physical disfigurement can be a king. It is like the I I, the first time I read it, I was like, holy shit. Hmm. This is like because it's so visible. He can't hide it. Uh, He can't get away from this. And she has just taken his career, his status, his position from him in a bite. That's goddess level shit. Guys, that's amazing. She doesn't have to 
burn his town to the ground and salt the fields. No, no, no. One little nip and you are fucking finished. And that's like, there's something about, there's something in, in the, the, the anger of goddesses that I always think is really interesting. It's like a really, really laser focused and really, really contained and really, really devastating. Like it's either that or it's Sekhmet drowning everything in blood, kind of not level. Uh, like nope. it's, it's sort of one or the other. <laughs> That's the great thing about the the Irish kind of goddesses is, is like you don't have this beautiful kind of ethereal kind of I guess the the nymphs in in Greek mythology or kind of like you don't have them in Irish myths. You just have. The Morrigan, Yvonne, you, you even Kleina shows it with the waves. Like you've these goddesses who who can show abundance and beauty and kindness and love, and then in, in a second turn around, and Bridget, who we celebrate in Imbolc in, in the first of February, is the kind of patron saint slash was a goddess before she became a saint because of yeah, you know the church, tough. and you know she'll fuck you up <laughs> if you if you if you're not generous you know she asks the guy for some salt who's carrying some salt and he says no these are rocks and she says yeah rocks let them be so and all of the salt turns to rocks and they crush him <laughs> because she's a badass bitch and you don't fuck with go- yeah. goddesses that's the moral <laughs> of that story that's the moral think, of so many goddess stories and I think that that is a really good place to leave it do not fuck yes. with a goddess. <laughs> it's simple, guys. So anyone out it's there fucking with a goddess, stop it now. Stop, stop it. Because it. <laughs> it will not end well. Um, Candlelit Tales, what have you got coming up? Um, uh Thanks, Rixie. We have a storytelling course online that we're teaching um, thanks to the glory of Zoom and connecting with people. Uh, we've taught, we're in the middle of our second one at the moment and we found teaching a small group of people the art of storytelling and Irish mythology profoundly rewarding. And we're, and, um, we're going we're gonna to do the model, I think, with that that we did with storytelling which is we'll keep showing up and doing it as long as people keep showing up and wanting to wanting us to do it. So if that sounds like something that's appealing, uh, get in touch and we'll, we'll, we'll let you know about the next one. Yeah, and uh, in for St. Patrick's Day, uh, I guess. We actually got a little this message is, from Lonan. This yeah, is no, going this to is go actually on the podcast go. after. It's okay, don't worry. People, people will forgive you. It's fine. <laughs> what? This isn't going out live? I'm so Look, timey wimey, man. Guys, so guys, no, I'm going to let you in on a we, secret, guys. This is this is recorded before you're hearing it, and and oh and, it's, and it can be edited as well. Yes. So, okay. Yeah, but you Sorry, see, Tim. we don't have a Tim, so whenever we say that, we we joke about this frequently in our our, our podcast. In that, like, oh, we let it out there. No, no, she, there is no editing. She listens to it and thinks it's funny. <laughs> Oh, she listens to it and thinks it's funny. So, it so what have you got? What have you got um, coming out after St. Patrick's Day? My what friends? we are what we are planning to do is we are planning to do a great, big, wonderful story about the invasions of Ireland, which is all about how Ireland was there first. There's no creation myth in Irish mythology. And then people came and different peoples came from all these different parts of the world and brought all these different traditions to Ireland because that is our oldest mythological cycle. And it's the Celts and it's the Tuatha Dé Danann 
And it's the older people than that and older and older and older. And that's what we're going to be telling next. That's lush. That sounds fantastic. Well, we look forward to it. And we're going to have... We're gonna have you guys in our podcast. Yes, oh, I'm excited Hopefully. about it. We can just so. we can just uh, we can just gas a bit more, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> this was great fun. Yeah. This so we're gonna do this again, literally on our podcast. Exactly. So no, we great. look forward to it. Thank you so much, um, thank you guys, uh, Lit Tales, and thanks yeah, so much, guys. Hope all is well. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on episode 34 of the Embers Collective podcast. Massive thank you also once again to Aaron and Circa Hegarty from Candlelit Tales. If you'd like to find out more about what Candlelit Tales are up to, you can go to their website, candlelittales.ie. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram, and you can delve into their wealth of podcasts wherever it is that you get your podcasts from. As for us embers, if you don't already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and make sure to share our podcasts with anyone you think might enjoy them in these strange times. Next episode, we have more from the Candlelit Tales crew. So until then, stay safe and well.